Just this morning, Jody Martin had put uh, something on my desk, and it's an article that uh, Mac wrote for Rooted, which is a student ministry, which actually Anna Harris uh, is, a, is a part of. It was started by Cameron Cole, whom we know here and who is a minister to students over at uh, uh, Cathedral of the Advent. But it was so good. I mean, Jody said, man, you just need to read that. He didn't ask me to get Mac to read it, but he said, it's the church, man. And it's so cool to see a young man who grew up in this church and wrote something so great about what it means to be church. So, Mac, I know, just be patient with me. I'm going to ask you to come up and just read this. It's not long, and it's so worth hearing. So give it up for Mac. Come on. Thanks, man. Right up there. All right. Um, the title is Mamas, Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Cowboys. Um, to be clear, I'm not talking about crushing the dreams of every eight-year-old or my current dreams. Please don't do that. Um, but after my freshman year of college, one of the graduating seniors whom I looked up to most wrote me a short but powerful letter. He probably doesn't even remember doing so, but one piece of advice that convicted me and has stuck with me ever since was, God doesn't ask us to be cowboys. Never go solo into a fight. And after reading the letter, I began to realize that I had spent most of my freshman year on a spiritual island. I had a few Christian friends, attended RUF, and went to church, but I didn't really have a spiritual home. I wasn't part of a team. Christian fellowship and community, two over, overused yet underrealized words in so many Christian circles, were notably absent from my life. And sadly, I was okay with that. In fact, I almost relished the challenge. It was like me and Jesus versus the world, and I didn't need anybody else's help. In all the wrong ways, I was riding solo. I was Clint Eastwood riding off into the sunset, my secular campus the deserted wasteland, minus the tumbleweed blowing across the screen. But rather than riding with a gang of lawmen at my side, I was trying to do it on my own. And I wasn't the only one. My friend who wrote the letter, perhaps the manliest man I will ever meet, wrote out of his own struggle with stubborn independence. Like me, my friend was raised in a culture that teaches kids to be cowboys and cowgirls. Independence, individualism, and self-sufficiency have become the gold standard for growing up. Everybody wants to be the hero, and the hero doesn't ask for help. Whether in school, sports, or everyday interactions, society explicitly and implicitly drills a similar message to all students. Boys, be your own man. Be strong. Grow up. Get a job. And lead a family. And don't you dare read an instruction manual or ask for directions along the way. And girls, it's a man's world out there. So put your big girl pants on, toughen up, and go out and change it. Asking for help is a sign of weakness, and that just won't cut it. But that's not God's way. When the world tells us we have to trust in ourselves and our own abilities, God offers countercultural comfort through dependence on him, supported through vulnerable, Christ-centered friendships. God doesn't want cowboys. He wants an army. Admittedly, teaching students to seek out godly friends, perhaps for the thousandth time, to walk through life together may seem like meaningless repetition. But too often, the conversation is framed around avoiding hanging out with the wrong crowd and staying out of trouble. Instead, if we show students that God desires us to seek and find godly friends to support us in our everyday lives and bring us closer to him, then they, begin to, they can begin to recognize the joy and strength we find in Christ when we understand that we don't have to do this whole thing called life alone. We, uh, we serve a relational God. He understands the joy of living in community, and he created us with the innate need for fellowship with him and others. Let us make man in our image, God said in Genesis 1. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all live in loving union, and God desires that we join him in that beautiful union on earth and in heaven. We partake in this divine union because the Spirit of God lives within us, meaning that the Father and Son are also eternally within us. At the same time, we can more tangibly experience our communion with God on earth by joining with fellow believers. 
Writing to the church in Ephesus, John shared his personal testimony of Jesus, quote, so that you may have fellowship with us, and, our deed are, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. In short, fellowship with other believers is fellowship with God himself. And while having friendships with non-believers is also important, students must recognize the depth and significance of a friendship rooted in Jesus. According to scholars Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock, it takes two to make a thing go right. Um, or if you prefer God's infinite wisdom, he simply observed, it is not good that man should be alone. Keep in mind that God said this about Adam in the garden, while Adam still lived in perfect relationship with God. We're all wired for fellowship with God and with people. Not only do godly friendships help us live in communion with Christ, but they also strengthen, encourage, and even carry us through life. Two are better than one, Solomon says, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually, two are stronger than one. And praise be to God, for he knows our every need. Throughout Scripture, God repeatedly provides his people with close friends for support. Adam married Eve, Aaron spoke for Moses, Ruth saved Naomi, Jonathan encouraged David. And when Jesus sent his disciples into the world, he sent them two by two so that each could support, strengthen, and encourage the other when the going got tough. In short, he sent teams, not lone rangers. Day in, day out, these godly men and women worked together, laughed together, cried together, worshipped together, and yes, screwed up together. Even Jesus, God in the flesh, asked for help. His disciples were his closest friends, with whom he wept, washed feet, and asked for prayer in his moment of greatest need. And even though his friends often let him down, and ours will too, Jesus knows that, through every vulner- that only through vulnerability, through truly knowing and being known by others, will we find the closeness, strength, and true fellowship that God desires for us. To be sure, Jesus is and always will be our most faithful friend. He has already exposed himself and given everything for us. But as we walk the earth as a timid seventh grader or a lonely Christian at college or even a minister at a godly church, remember that God never meant for us to saddle up and ride alone. Through Christ-centered friendships, God provides the help and support we need to navigate this cowboy-crazed world, and he gives us a glimpse of our heavenly home as we draw near to him in union with other believers. Thanks. Isn't that great? A reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 5. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It is not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It does not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I appreciated Anne's words about Above and Beyond and what a great campaign that was and will be as we have doubled our mission's funding for next year. And we've had a number of different emphases on uh, Above and Beyond, looking at that from various angles. And I wanted to raise that one more time before the year's end, and I kept praying about what, what angle at which to, to uh, approach it. And, and the more I thought about it, I kept going back to what I heard Gerald Hutchinson say. Those of you who are here for Freedom Sunday remember uh, Gerald, who did a marvelous sermon called Bone Duty, but one thing he talked about toward the end of his message was how we really are losing our capacity to be kinder to each other and, and just to listen to one another. And, and we're in a day, obviously, of great division. Uh, he talked about how social media has only exacerbated that matter. And I thought about it, and I kept uh, getting drawn back to 1 Corinthians 13. 
And, and just the simple words about love that Olivia read so well just a moment ago. And I thought, really, let's talk about loving above and beyond. Loving above and beyond. Loving like Jesus in days of division. Because at the foundation, that's really what it's all about, is it not? And it's interesting, the first trait that Paul uses to describe love, and it's really all about what? Patience. Patience. Now, we struggle with being impatient when, uh, with others. It begins when we're young. Bob Russell had a woman in his church who had a four-year-old daughter who was misbehaving so badly that she put her and made her sit in the walk-in closet, and the mom kept walking by there and was really impressed because this daughter, who's ordinarily so loud and rambunctious, didn't hear a peep out of her for like 15 minutes, just very, very quiet, and she became kind of amazed at this little girl's patience and quietness. Finally, she walked into the walk-in closet, and the daughter looked up at her with a scowl and said, I spit on your shoes, I spit on your dresses, now I'm waiting for more spit. (laughs) There's impatience with driving, is there not? Recently, AAA did this uh, study in their uh, vehicle uh, safety division, and they found that 80% of U.S. drivers in the last year have had significant anger as they are driving, anger towards someone else who's out there on the road, sometimes outright aggression toward that person. And it's hard to just tell people to be patient. It's hard to just say, be patient. I agree with Henry Ward Beecher, the great 19th century preacher, who said there's no such thing as preaching patience into people unless the sermon is so long that they have to learn it. (laughs) I'm not going to do that. But I think it's important that we share this morning what God reminds us about patience. We need to be patient not only to be good people, but really to exemplify Christ's own patience and to live up to the calling that he has called us to live by being patient with one another. So let's dive right in with the outline. First of all, let's talk about the primacy of patience. It's so vital that we develop patience as a spiritual discipline. For most of us, it does not come naturally, and that's from the beginning of life. Think about a baby who wakes up at 3 a.m. and is hungry. That baby is not going to be very patient when it comes to getting the food that he or she wants. But it's vital that we cultivate this discipline along the way. Isn't it significant that in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is mainly talking about love. You know, if I have all these things but have not love, I really have nothing and I am nothing. But what is the first trait that he uses to describe love? Love is, what is it? Love is patient. Love is patient. And perhaps we could say what trait is most vital as we practice unconditional love. I think you can make a strong case for being patient. It's vital for unconditional love. How important is it? It's very important. Scripture attests to this. Look at Proverbs 16.32, which says, Better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than to conquer a city. That's how important it is. And speaking of power, you know, oftentimes if you are ever leading... You've got to be patient, and many of you know if you've led any kind of project or lead a business or whatever it might be that you do, you're always going to have people questioning you, second-guessing you, and leadership requires, requires patience. 
got to be patient. Now, there's a Greek word, hupomene, which can uh, speak to uh, patience in the New Testament. It's talking about circumstances that you might be going through or waiting on God and trying to make a decision. But the word Paul uses here with love is patient is makrothumia, makrothumia. And it really is a combination of two words. Makron means far off or at a distance, and thumos means fierceness or intensity. And really what it's talking about is having a long fuse. In other words, something happens and you want to respond in a fierce, intense manner, but what you do is step away far off at a distance and create distance from that emotion and you delay what goes on for a later time, maybe even forever. It's really the opposite of having a short fuse. Some people have paraphrased this word to say it means taking a long time to boil. But it's about having a long fuse. It's the It's the ability to count down uh, before blasting off, we could put it that way. Again, it's the first trait that Paul lists when he talks about love. It was interesting recently, about two weeks ago, I was reading uh, a piece by Tertullian, who was one of the great uh, early church fathers, and he was talking about patience, and the way he started out was so interesting because he started talking about the Beatitudes, and he talked about how vital, how, how critical patience is because he wound up saying, look at every one of the Beatitudes that Jesus says at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and they all require significant patience. Let's look at just a few of these, and I just chose a few at random. Let's see, first of all, blessed are the meek. Well, meekness means what? Power under restraint. It means restrained aggression, talking about you know counting to ten, counting before blasting off. What's the next one? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Well, righteousness sometimes is a long time coming, is it not? It takes patience. What's next? Blessed are the merciful. Just to be merciful to some people uh, to whom it's difficult to show mercy sometimes, it takes patience. Blessed are the peacemakers. If you're caught in the middle of some kind of conflict and you're trying to be the reconciler, that takes an incredible amount of patience sometimes. And finally, blessed are you when people (laughs) insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. The primacy of patience. Now, I want to ask you, when I talk about being patient with someone, (laughs) who bubbles to the surface in your mind and in your heart? Who do you think about someone toward whom you have had to practice patience? It's primary. Well, how do we develop it? How do we develop this discipline of patience? Let's move right into the way to patience with some practical words that Scripture offers. First of all, remember what impatience is saying about you. Remember what impatience is saying about you. Speaking of UNC, this is true, a scholar at University of North Carolina discerned based on a bunch of data that one of the root causes of our impatience is, here's the word, narcissism. said narcissism. It's, it's an inordinate preoccupation with the self, and we all can fall prey to that. Now, I don't want to ever be called a narcissist. I hate that word. But when I think about how impatient I can be sometimes, I'm probably guilty as charged. I think I can be narcissistic. I think we all can be when we are impatient. Or even worse, as Scripture says, we can wind up being fools or at least acting like fools. Look at Proverbs 14, 29. People with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great, what? Foolishness. Or Ecclesiastes 7, 8, and 9. Finishing is better than starting. Patience is better than pride. Control your temper for anger labels you a fool. See what impatience is saying about you. Well, secondly, and here we go, you know this one, count to ten, 
Count to 10, I think James puts it very well. James 1, 19, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Think back to what Jesus said in the Beatitudes, meekness, power under restraint, restraining that aggression, counting to 10, taking a few breaths and not responding too intensely. And we've talked about this here. Even when Jesus talks about turning the other cheek, he's really talking about being patient. He's talking about what? If someone strikes you with the right hand, which people would lead with back then because the left arm was cursed, it's a backhanded slap. And even if it was a tap, it was a sign of derision or ridicule or disrespect. And what Jesus is saying by turning the other cheek is, Back off, don't be baited into this altercation and lower yourself to the level at which that person is operating. Be patient, count to ten, and move on. Talking about counting down before blasting off. Thirdly, learn to listen before answering. Learn to listen before answering. We can be so thin-skinned. All of a sudden, a chip on our shoulders becomes very heavy because of something someone says or does. And we've got to learn sometimes just to listen to someone before we respond too quickly. Look at Proverbs 18, 13. Spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. I remember a story that went the rounds about Franklin Roosevelt when he was president. He got really tired of these long receiving lines he had to be in day in, day out with different diplomats and, and, and ambassadors and the like, and he would complain about that, and then he decided to, to do an experiment, and, and he decided when these groups, these ambassadors, some of them were American ambassadors to other countries, some of them were ambassadors from those countries, there was this long receiving line at a reception at the White House, and he just thought he'd give it a try, and so he would shake the hands of people and smile that wonderful FDR grin, but he would say, I murdered my grandmother this morning. And, and every time they were like, oh, thank you, Mr. President. Uh, oh, that's marvelous, Mr. President. Oh, God bless you, Mr. President. None of them listened. Until finally there was, and they think it was, the American ambassador to Bolivia came along, and, and, and Roosevelt said, I murdered my grandmother this morning. And this ambassador paused and then leaned in and said, well, she probably had it coming, and then just walked on. <laughs> Again, only one person was listening. Again, just a reminder of how thin-skinned we could be and unaware we can be when we're trying to understand the full context of a situation or of a person and what is being said. Here's another very important one. Don't give up on people. Don't give up on people. We're so tempted to do that sometimes and just create distance between ourselves and that person. But we're called to be patient just like Jesus was. It's important to remember you know, that Jesus didn't give up on his disciples. He didn't stop meeting with them, even though Judas was a, a traitor and a thief, uh, even though Thomas was a doubter, even though Peter could be so ignorant and fickle sometimes. He continued to be with them. And oftentimes they were rude. Oftentimes they were naive. Oftentimes they were thoughtless and unkind and very, very self, selfish, self-absorbed. But he doesn't forsake them just as he never forsakes you and me. And so we're called not to forsake the people with whom you and I do life with. And, and I know sometimes people will say, and I know I've, I've said it before, you know, some people just don't change. People just don't change. Well, yeah, okay, but sometimes what Jesus is telling you when you say that is, well, you can change how you respond to that person. Or you can practice all the more long-suffering and just try to issue more grace, create more space 
for loving that person and not give up on him. There's a movie that Robert Redford um, directed a number of years ago called A River Runs Through It. Anybody seen A River Runs Through It? It's a good movie. And uh, in that movie, Tom Skerritt uh, plays the father of these two sons. Tom Skerritt is an Episcopalian priest. And it talks a lot about uh, the relationship between the two brothers. Brad Pitt plays uh, the son named Paul. And Paul is a good person, but he struggles with uh, really a gambling addiction, among other things. Kind of, kind of a rowdy guy and, and very impulsive. But what really gets him into trouble is that addiction. And eventually some shady characters beat him to death because of money he owed them. And it crushes the family. And, and his brother uh, is in church one of the last Sundays that uh, the father preaches before the father passes on. And the father, right at the end of the sermon, says that sometimes, you know, we realize that people don't change. We realize that even people we're closest to, we sometimes just don't understand them. And they're so hard to understand sometimes. But he says, but we can still love them. We can still love them. We can love completely without complete understanding. We can love completely without complete understanding. And I think we can embrace that word for ourselves, especially when it's difficult to offer grace and patience towards some people whom we really love and want to try to understand, but sometimes we just can't, but we can be complete in our patience with them. And being patient really does validate our calling as, as believers. It validates that you're committed to trying to be like Jesus who is so patient with you. Look at Ephesians 4, 1 and 2, where Paul writes, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Key word, calling. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. So what does it mean to lead a life worthy in Christ. Well, it is to be patient with others in spite of their faults. And finally, trust the power of patience. Trust the power of patience. We looked at this verse earlier. Uh, what is it? Proverbs 16, is it? Proverbs 16, 32. Better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than to conquer a city. Patience shows power through trials that you go through with people who are difficult to love. And, and one of the real powerful aids to patience is having a sense of humor about people. And with that, just a few days ago, somebody sent me a brief video. I have, I've kind of scaled it down. It goes for a much longer time, and the husband shows even more patience. But this is a senior couple who are trying to learn um, how to use a webcam, and we're struggling with it. And uh, it's just fun because she gets a little impatient with it, but he's just cool and calm and collected and patient. So I thought I'd share this series of photos I was doing That's now. okay. And you can email these to selected media, but why can't, why, why want to take a picture? Take photo. Oh, oh, dear. I did it before by accident. You're like me. You do more things by accident than yeah. most people do on purpose. Display. See, this is the one I took by mistake. Oh, there. I don't know. How'd you do that? I don't know. I'm trying to do it for you. See how pretty your hair is? Did you notice that? No. How pretty your hair yeah. is. I don't know where you are, honey. I mean, I've, I just got to learn too many things, you know. She tried to teach me so much. But let's get up. You want to watch? Um, I'll show you what, what you can watch. 
Ah, warning. You must stop recording before trying to close Cyberlink. Oh, gee, but I don't know. I don't know what I'm recording. Shucks. Maybe you just recorded us. Oh, gee. Huh. You have lines in your forehead, too. Mm, I'm not more. <laughs> I, don't know to, I don't know how to do this. Well, you do whatever you do. You do fine. Mm -mm. You learn. You learn. Take time. What did I do with my... Honey, I don't know what to do. Mm -mm. And it goes on and on. But I think that's a beautiful depiction of just being patient, not letting it get the best of you. It's a wonderful visual uh, depiction, I think, of patience. Well, we have some practical steps that Scripture offers, but I want to fi finally talk about the patience of God because really, if no other reason for our being patient with one another, and we talked about it already, but the patience that God has for you and for me is just overwhelming. We talked about the word uh, makrothumia, and makron means far off, and thumia is intensity. And it's amazing how God's anger toward us could be very intense, but he distances himself in order to simply offer us that unconditional love. He has shown us patience time and again, no matter what our status is with him. Look, look at 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. You know, if for no other reason, be patient because of how incredibly patient he has been toward our sinful, depraved selves. There's a traditional Hebrew story about Abraham, the patriarch, sitting in his tent uh, on a cool night, and he saw in the distance outside of his tent an elderly man who was walking up, who was weary from travel and weary from age. And Abraham bolted out there and, and escorted the man into his tent. And as they did by tradition back then, Abraham washed the man's feet and then prepared a meal for him. And then when he brought the man the meal, the man immediately began to eat without praying over or blessing the food. And Abraham was incensed by that. And he said, don't you worship God? To which the old man replied, I worship only fire and reverence no other gods. Well, this incensed Abraham all the more, and he grabbed the old man by the shoulders, turned him around, pushed him out of the tent, and made him go away. And after the old man had left, God spoke to Abraham, asking where the old man was. And Abraham said, I forced him out because he did not worship you. To which God replied to Abraham, I have suffered him these 80 years, although he dishonors me. Could you not endure him one night? You know, in the New Testament, Paul confesses to his need for God's patience. Look at 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe and receive eternal life. You know, patience really can lead to amazing breakthroughs. I even think of, you know, God's patience being like the father of the prodigal son in that best-known parable. Uh, the prodigal who left the house, the father had every right as the head of that whole family, that whole clan. He could have sent someone to hunt down the young man and have him killed. Or when he returned, he could have made him into a slave. 
When he returned, he could have not forgiven him. And he didn't even ever have to even give that money to the young man. But he was patient with him. And that's God's patience towards us. And it's wonderful to me that that patience of that father paid off. Because ultimately, how does that parable end? Well, with a party. And patience can lead to breakthroughs in perspective that can lead to a party. I read about that in 2016. Jeff and Rebecca Payne got married in Dayton, Ohio on November 26 of 2016. They got married in a church. It was a church ceremony, but the reception was across town. Well, they were going on U.S. Route 35, and there was a terrible two-car accident, and they were stuck in a traffic jam for an hour. Now, she's in her wedding dress. He's in the tux. It's in the evening. It's dark, and they're all just sitting there. Finally, uh, Jeff decided to get out of the car, and he went around asking people, just explaining, hey, look, I'm in a tux, I just got married. Uh, do you happen to have an iPad? Yes, I do. Somebody had uh, brought their window down and said, yeah, I've got it. He said, do you have Spotify on there? Yes, I do. He said, okay, can you find Allison Krauss on there? Uh, she's a wonderful singer, and she, she sings the song I was going to uh, uh, dance with her at, at our first dance. He's like, yeah, okay, I've got it. He goes back to find Rebecca, and they go out, and step out of the car and begin to dance right there on the highway. Isn't that wonderful? They just kept dancing on the highway. And people got out of their cars and it turned into a party. And somebody said it was great. Because of their patience, this turned into a party. And that was their first dance. And it went on for some time. And they had a wonderful, wonderful experience. Well, you might feel, in a sense, stuck on a highway yourself in terms of how can I be more patient with this person who comes to my mind I feel like I'm stuck, I'm in a rut trying to be patient with that person. Who comes to mind for you? And it may be that you're more broadly waiting on an answer from God. You're needing clarity on something and needing to be more patient. But in the meantime, you have reason to still dance. You still have reason to dance because of his patience with you. So I'll close with 2 Thessalonians 3, 5, where Paul says, May the Lord lead your hearts into a full understanding and expression of the love of God and the patient endurance that comes from Christ. Let's pray together. For your amazing patience, O God, we are so utterly grateful. We fall on our faces each and every day. And we are so grateful that if we just acknowledge that to you, that you forgive us immediately. Remind us that in one sense we are already forgiven. It's just a matter of us making ourselves open to it. But all the more, O oh God, especially during these days of division and people striking out, lashing out at one another, we pray that you would make us better disciples following your son's countercultural way, the way of being patient with all people. Teach us, O oh God, to do that and to do that better. We pray these things in your name. Amen.